Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come into your presence today and we ask, Lord, that you would still our souls. Father, there are many things that seek to disturb our souls, to unquiet our souls, to bother us and to lead us into an unsettled state of mind. Father, those concerns weigh heavy on our hearts at this time, Lord. The cares of this past week, the concerns of the upcoming week. And yet, Father, we have an opportunity now to come and to hear You speak words of hope. The only words of hope, of true hope that we will hear Today are the words, the eternal, perfect, holy word that you give to us in your word. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who provides abundant hope through your word and through your son. So Lord, as we look to your word today, may our hearts be ready to receive what you have for us. May we seek to be shaped and molded and conformed more into the image of your beloved Son. Father, change us. Change us today as your Spirit works. We pray this all in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin looking at 2 Peter 2 this morning. And we're going to go ahead and read the entire chapter today, and then we're only going to be looking at, um, really, verses 1 through 3 this morning. Uh, this, this entire passage really can't be broken out or broken up um, into different... I mean, it's broken up into different sections, obviously, but it, it, I think it's important that we take it all together because... Peter's line of thinking in this passage is all very tight-knit. It's all very put together very closely. And so I don't think it does us justice to just read what we're looking at this morning. So we're going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to be looking again today at the power that we have for pilgrims in the knowledge of Christ. So just, to, just a reminder, we'll, we'll begin in verse chapter 1, verse 20, because... Peter is building upon what he said in chapter 1. He says, knowing this, chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in that context, then, Peter comes in and says, but, chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. We have today what we're going to begin looking at, and for over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this, the warning that Peter gives to pilgrims, pilgrim warnings. 
What we see Peter bringing up here in 2 Peter chapter 2 is nothing new. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, brings up the danger of false teaching. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. It's interesting to me that we have a tendency, and I I understand to some extent why this is, we want to be gracious, we want to be loving, we want to be caring for people, and sometimes that tendency works within us a desire to not want to point out error. But if the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached on the face of this planet, if our Lord Jesus found it necessary to warn in that sermon of false teachers, then is it not important for us today to learn to beware of false teachers? Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount preached this probably around A.D. 30 or A.D. 31. Peter is writing some 35, possibly 40 years later. So we have decades that have gone between Christ issuing that warning and Peter's writing. And has anything changed? There still was an existential threat to the church from false teaching. So the question that we're going to be faced with this week and the next several weeks is what will we do with these warnings. What will we do with the warnings that Peter gives us about false teaching? I know many of you probably are familiar with Harry Truman, not the president. I know, I'm sorry, I know many of you are familiar with Harry S. Truman, the president, right? But how many of you have heard of Harry R. Truman? I didn't think so. Not very many people um, knew Harry R. Truman. Although, if you were to go back to the time when Mount St. Helens erupted, he was a pretty popular guy. Maybe you remember about, maybe you don't know the name, but you remember the story about a guy who refused to evacuate because because warnings were being given that Mount St. Helens was going to erupt. And there was this one guy who refused to leave. He would not leave his, his house. He had lived there his entire life. He was someone who loved the mountain there, and he didn't want to leave it. He said that all the warnings given by the geologists and, and everybody that said that, 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 that they were wrong, that the mountain had been there for all this time, there wasn't going to be anything that happens. He, he said that there was a lake in between his house and where the lava flow would come, and it would never touch him, and he felt completely and totally safe in his home and refused 
to leave. He became an instant celebrity. He was on the cover of the New York Times, and, or, uh, and, and he was on the Today Show, and, and local news media, national news media picked up this guy who was stubbornly refusing to heed the warnings that were given to him. Well, Mount St. Helens erupted, and guess what happened to Harry R. Truman? He died in his home. He died in his home. Now, when we come to these warnings that are given to us here, we have to recognize that there is a propensity in us to naivety, to being lackadaisical about things, that there are temptations that are going to come in false teaching from the flesh. And the reason Jesus, and particularly Peter here, is warning us about false teaching is we're susceptible to it. It's easy for us to be carried away with winds of doctrine that do not come from our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter takes an entire chapter, he takes 22 verses to expose and explain the importance of of heeding the warning against false teachers. Now, there are going to be four things we're going to see in this entire chapter, and we're going to look at them each week. We're going to look at at, um, four of these different warnings. We're going to look today at the methods of false teachers, and we need to beware the methods of false teachers. And then we'll look at the consequences of false teachers, the character of false teachers, and then finally we'll look at the contradictions of, of false teachers. But today I want us to particularly recognize the methods of false teachers. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. And there are four main methods that Peter begins to point out to us that false teachers engage in. And Peter is going to call us to recognize and reject false teaching. The first thing we see is that false teachers depend on human effort. False teachers depend on human effort. This is an ancient technique. This has been going on from the beginning of God's people, and really it's been going on from the beginning of the creation of mankind. Human reasoning taking the place of God's Word always leads to destruction. And that is exactly where false teachers gain their truth. Again, look with me again in chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter is contrasting chapter 2, verse 1 with what he said in chapter 1. Particularly the fact that no prophecy, no genuine prophecy, was ever produced by whose will? Man's will. No prophecy came from the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, so they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. One of the things that Peter now brings up is he says, look, false prophets, when those prophecies that you have before, these false prophets arose among the people of God, and they did not speak for God, they spoke for themselves. And then he warns the church that as that happened in the Old Testament, 
Is it going to be any different in the new? No. It says, just as there will be false teachers among you. What is the thing that binds these false prophets and these false teachers together? And it is that they do not depend on the Spirit, but rather they depend on their own human reasoning. They depend on human effort, and it's been this way since the beginning. If you think about the temptation of Eve in the garden... The devil came, the serpent came, asked her questions about what God had said. Has God said? Twisting it with his question. And then she responded with her own response that was mostly correct. And then the devil came in and attacked God's word. And said, you're not going to die. God knows that you're going to be like him. And then there came a point where the Scripture tells us Eve looked at the fruit and, and we're given what's going on in her mind. She saw that it was a, a fruit that was good for food, that it was, it was desired, and that it was something that would be desired to make one wise. Not a wisdom that was dependent upon the Lord, but a wisdom that originated where? In herself. And so she turned away from the Word of God. She turned away from the commandment of God. And her thinking led her to depend upon her own way of thinking. And what did she do? She took and ate. This has been the method that has been used to turn people away from God Himself for ages. You don't need to depend on God's Word. You don't need the Spirit. You can just trust in your own thinking. Trust in yourself. This was the same method used by the false prophets that would rise up among God's people, Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we see God warning Israel about this. Said that there would be a prophet or a dreamer of dreams that would arise among you that would do signs and would do wonders. And the sign of the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So these would be men who could do amazing things, experiences that they could provide for people that would regale them and capture their attention. But notice what he says. If you have somebody that that this prophet or this dreamer of dreams who says all these things, but if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, what was the responsibility of Israel? You shall not, what? Listen to him. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him, and then this is key, and hold what? Fast to Him. These false prophets that would arise up among God's people could do amazing things, but their issue was that the words that they spoke 
called people not to trust in God, but to turn from Him. And the call was that to reject that and to hold fast to the words of the Lord. To not go after our own way of thinking, to not follow the way of thinking of false teachers, but to grab a hold of and to firmly grasp what God's Word says. Now, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 about our propensity in this. He says, all we like sheep have gone what? Astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And that is the reality that we have to keep before our minds. We are susceptible to this ancient technique. It is easy for us to be drawn away into false teaching because it teaches us, go ahead and live life how you want to. Follow your own way. Go your own path. Live your best life as you see it now and forget about what God's Word says. And so Peter is now writing thousands of years after Moses penned those words in Deuteronomy, he's now writing in 2 Peter chapter 2, and he's saying, listen, don't follow this ancient technique. Don't get caught in those who, instead of speaking from God, speak by their own will. Instead of speaking from the Spirit of God, they speak from the Spirit of this age. Reject it and turn from it. Now, it was that way thousands of years ago with Israel. It was that way thousands of years ago with the church. But we've, we've progressed beyond that in the 21st century, right? No. That still continues today. And in fact, that's one of the things that Peter points out to. While this is an ancient technique, it is secondly an infiltrating technique. He says, false prophets also arose, and this is what's important to keep in mind. Were these false prophets from the Philistines, or the Hittites, or the Jebusites? Like, was it the Egyptian false prophets that caused problems for Israel? No. Where do these false prophets come from? Among you. It arose among the people, and the same thing happens today, just as there will be false teachers among you will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. One of the things that is going to be an issue for the church, and one of the things that Peter is putting his finger on, is that this infiltrating technique is very effective. Because these people, these false teachers will come in and and they'll say everything that they know they should say. They know how to play the part perfectly. They, they know how to, how to say, oh, you've got a great doctrinal statement here at this church. They, they'll know how to talk with other believers and, and to pretend to show themselves to be one of God's people. And that's what Peter is saying. Listen, they're going to arise from among you. They're going to look like you. 
These false teachers are not going to be the, the ones that are railing against God. They're not going to be the ones who are, who are being, um, having a, 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 an anti-church sentiment. The real danger for the church are the people who look like the sheep. As Jesus says, they will rise up as sheep, but in reality they are what? Ravenous wolves. And so they come among the people. We have to recognize that, in fact, throughout the Scriptures, many of the warnings given to the church are warnings not about the external dangers. You don't see Paul warning the church about the dangers of the growing secularization of Rome. You don't see Paul or Peter or James or any of the apostles warning the church about the issues that were coming from from Baal or the, the Greek gods. They would mention them and talk about them and discuss the issues that were there, but their warnings were primarily focused on people in the church. And that is what Peter is saying here. And that reality is true today. Listen, the great threat to the church today is not from the atheists or agnostics. It's not from Muslims or Hindus, nor is it from Confucius or any of the animistic religions that we can see in South America or Africa. That is not the greatest threat. The existential threat to the church lies within the church in those who teach false teachings. False teachers are not going to be openly hostile to the church. They'll embrace it. They'll seem to be those who love the church and want to care for it. They may even be well-known Christians. They will likely be household names among even members of the true church. False teachers will infiltrate. These false teachers that rose up among Israel will do the same thing today. And they will be false teachers among the church. Peter's warning was necessary 2,000 years ago, and it's just as necessary today, is it not? Um, I know there used to be Christian bookstores all over the country, and particularly in this area. And it was sort of convenient for me as a pastor, like, oh, we're out of communion stuff. I could run to the Christian bookstore and get the stuff we needed for communion, that type of thing. But I'll be honest. In many ways, I'm sort of glad that Christian bookstores are closed down. You say, you're a pastor. Why would you say that? Because there was so much error in those bookstores. I think, and unfortunately we can't do that today, we can't go to the local Christian bookstores anymore, but back in the day, back in the day, wow, I never thought I'd be saying that. (laughs) Back in the day, like five years ago, you could walk into a Christian bookstore and the first things you would see were terrible teachings. They were the most popular books. 
They were the ones that sold out. They were the ones that made the New York Times bestseller list. And people would walk in there and they were going into what type of bookstore? A Christian bookstore. It was such a commentary on the state of the church that the church had seeded, unfortunately, in many areas the fight for what is true. So how do we guard against these that are going to rise up from within us? Well, just two things. The first is that we need to have a growing dependence on the Holy Spirit. You cannot have discernment apart from the Holy Spirit. And that is why Peter points to the main thing that is missing from these false teachers. It is the Spirit. Jesus promised when His disciples were here on earth and He was going to leave them, He promised His disciples that He would send the Holy Spirit who would guide them into all what? Truth. And so today, we need to have that level of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. This will also be something that makes false teaching somewhat easy to recognize because false teaching is not going to come to you and say, depend on the Spirit. False teaching is going to come to you and say, you need to depend on who? Yourself. False teaching is all about self-actualization, self-dependence, Self-esteem, self, self, self. And you can see that today in much of what passes as Christianity in our society. It's all about you. When true Christianity is all about Christ. And so we need to Depend upon the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us into that truth. And then we need to be discerning. Peter is not going to give these warnings about false teachers and then just sort of expect us to sort of, you know, okay, these are these warnings, but don't make it a priority. No, we need to be clear that we are in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, are discerning. That means that To be honest, if a Christian author's book is on the New York Times bestseller list, you probably shouldn't read it. Now, there are exceptions to that rule. But overall, if the world likes what someone is saying, there's something wrong there. Jesus tells us that we're not going to be friends of the world. We're going to be what with the world? Enemies. So we need to be discerning. We need to, as John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we need to not believe every spirit, but do what? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're not only as out in the world as John tells us, but they are also in the church. So don't just believe somebody because he says he's a Christian. Oh, he says he's a Christian. Okay, that's great. He says he's a Christian. What does he believe? 
What does that mean to him? What is he teaching? And in particular, one of the things that becomes evident, as Peter is going to point out, how does his life reflect that he's a Christian? Notice when Jesus warns against false teachers, what does he say that was going to be the thing that's going to help us determine whether they're real or not? You shall know them by their fruits. And that's one of the things that Peter's going to bring out here. In fact, it's this next thing we're going to talk about. These false teachers bring deception and division. What are their fruits? They're liars and they're um, stirrer-uppers. I know it's not a word, but they're stirrer-uppers. I like it. We see, first of all, that they have concealed motives. Notice what he says here in verse 2, again, chapter 1. These false teachers that are going to come up among the church will, are they going to come and say, hey, I've got false teaching to sell you guys. What do they do? They come in and they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. They do this in secret. They are going to be subtle. As they infiltrate the church, their subtleties of what they're teaching are going to be hard at times to see. They do it secretly. They come in and play a part, and they play it well. They blend in. They look and act and speak just like anyone in the body of Christ. But behind the facade, they have hidden ulterior ulterior secret motives. Jude talks about them as people creeping in unnoticed. It's amazing that Jude says that, that that as he's writing to the church, that there are people in that church that he's writing to that don't know that the false teachers are there. Paul even speaks very candidly about this, that there were those who were false brothers that were brought secretly into the church of Christ particularly the church in Galatia. They slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery. False teachers are not going to come and say, hey, I don't agree with what the pastor says. False teachers may be some of the ones who amen the loudest when the preacher preaches. And if you amen loudly here, I'm not saying you're a false teacher. Everyone's like, oh, maybe I should stop that now. (laughs) They're not going to come in with obvious opposition. They're going to do it secretly. But their motives are going to be known very clearly as they seek consolidated power. What Paul had just talked about in Galatians chapter 2, let's just go back there real quick. They are those who are spying out the freedom so that they might bring us back into slavery. Guess who the master is when the false teacher brings people into slavery? Themselves. And that's why they are those who consolidate power. The term that Peter uses here in, chapter, or in verse 1, you secretly bring in destructive heresies. All right, now today, we think of the term heresy 
as false teaching, right? That which does not accord with orthodoxy. So there's heresy and orthodoxy. Heresy is that which is wrong. Orthodoxy is that which is straight, right? You think about, you go to the orthodontist. What is the orthodontist supposed to do with your teeth? Straighten them. And that's what orthodoxy means, straight teaching, straight way of living. And heresy was the opposite of that. But what we find is that the term heresy, which is a Greek term, eresis, and uh, we talked about this, if you were in the systematic theology class, we talked a little bit about this uh, when we first started that. It actually referred to a sect. In fact, the first in the Bible, the first group that were called eresis or heretics were the Jews calling Christians heretics. They were a sect of Judaism. So what, what is Peter trying to get out here? What is he trying to understand with, with what's happening? And he's trying to say, listen, there's going to come a day where people are going to rise up in the church of Christ and they are going to form around a certain different doctrine that departs from Scripture and that, that group now becomes a sect or a party. And guess what that sect and that party want to do? They want the power. This happened in Galatia with the Judaizers. The early church had to deal with a sect, a Christian sect that said, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we also think you have to keep the Old Testament law. Everything in the law, including circumcision. And so they were requiring circumcision of Gentile believers. And we see that the Jerusalem Council clearly addresses that sect as it grows up. We also know that there was a teaching that Christ particularly pointed out in his letters to Ephesus and Pergamum in Revelation, a teaching or a group called the Nicolaitans. And it's not defined for us what their particular teachings were, but there was a group there that had gained some level of notoriety among the church. They had power. And so... Sectarianism does not end with the close of the writing of Scripture. You can go throughout history and you can see sect after sect growing up and trying to consolidate that power that is there in the church. I mean, think about it. If you really realize what was going on in the first century church in Acts, when people came to the Lord, they sold how much of what they had? All that they had. And they held it in common. Boy, if you're a, if you're a sharp cookie and, and you're able to put on the ritz and, and glamour and, and sort of get in there, you've got a pretty nice bankroll behind you. You have people that you're able to lead. And so these false teachers find ways to consolidate power. And eventually what ends up happening is they start, begin, they start and begin to bring conflict and division in the church. So that now there is the group of the Nicolaitans, and then there's the group of those that are following what the apostles preached. Paul had this issue in his, in his letters to Corinth. There were all sorts of different factions that had grown up in the church at Corinth that were rejecting and saying, Paul isn't a true apostle. You don't need to listen to him. And they brought division among the church. Notice what Paul says to those who seek to assert their own power and authority. To them we did 
not yield in submission even for a moment. See, Paul was saying that these secret brothers who crept into the church of Galatia, they were there to gain power. And Paul says, I'm not having it. Why? Was it so that Paul could keep his own power? No. He did it so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. So these false teachers that are depending on human effort, really all they've got then, if you're really depending on human effort, the only thing they got is deception and division. Which then we see finally, what is their, or thirdly, what are they teaching? They're teaching sinful indulgence. Talks about how they deny the master who bought them. And so there's different thoughts about what that is referring to there. We'll talk a little bit more about that likely next week. But it likely is referring to the fact that they're denying the return of Jesus Christ. Peter has already hinted at that earlier on in chapter 1. And notice what they say in chapter 2. So what is it that they are teaching? Many follow their sensuality. What essentially these false teachers came in and said was, listen, Jesus isn't coming back. And, you know, yeah, it's great to have, you know, the, the, this body of believers that have been brought together. And yes, we believe Jesus died on the cross and all the different types of things. But now we're in a new age. And you know what? It doesn't really matter how you live. So go ahead and enjoy sinful indulgence. Go ahead and feed the flesh. And listen, that type of teaching, that's popular. <laughs> Notice what he says. Many will follow their sensuality. You know, there's this saying that we've heard said all the time, you know, if it feels good, what? Do it. And that's what they were saying. Listen, live your life for sensuality. Enjoy. Don't let the restrictions that God has placed upon you, particularly restrictions around sexual ethics, live however you want. Do what feels good for you. Love is love, right? And boy, that's a popular message, isn't it? Live however you want to. There's no demands of Christ upon your life. You don't have to be only faithful to your wife or your husband. You don't have to, to live out life as you've been created. You don't have to even deal with sexuality the way God has created it. You can violate every conceivable thing that we know about what God has given and created sex for. No big deal. And that type of teaching will get you on the front page of the newspaper. That type of teaching will get you interviews with mass media all over this country. That type of teaching will get you on the Oprah show. It's popular. Not only is it popular, but it's something that Paul had clearly warned Timothy about. Listen, there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Are we there? Oh, yeah. But instead of enduring sound teaching, they will have itching ears. 
And so they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own what? Passions. Same thing Peter's pointing out here. And the thing that happens is as Christians fall into those traps, as they believe the lies of these false teachers, as they go on into indulgence and sinful activities, they end up damaging the name and the way of Christ. Good verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. You know, it is, it is amazing to me that as the church in certain segments continues to embrace that which is clearly forbidden in God's Word, the world doesn't embrace them as comrades, but rather they pull them down and say, I told you your Christianity wasn't real. As we live lives that are not in accordance with the Christ whom we claim to follow, we only bring blasphemy upon His name. The reality is that false teaching that gives permission to sin, it snuffs out the light that believers have. Jesus tells us that we are to let our light shine before others so that they may see our what? What is our light? Our good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we live lives that are not according to the goodness of God's word, we snuff out that light. We don't just hide it. False teaching doesn't just hide the light. It extinguishes it. And it brings Blasphemy upon the name of Christ. This is nothing new. What had Israel done for so many years? They defamed the name of their Lord. Paul writing and speaking specifically to the Jews in Romans 2, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You preach against stealing and then you steal. You say that one must not commit adultery, but you commit adultery. Do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Listen, your life and the choices you make, the things you do, the way in which you live your life in front of this world has consequences. Do we live, do you live in such a way that Christ is upheld as honorable and glorious in your life? Or do you live in such a way that you bring reproach upon the name of Christ so that those outside see your works and rather than glorify your God in heaven, they blaspheme Him? That's what Peter is pointing out. And the final thing we see about these false teachers regarding their methods is that they exploit for greedy gain. We see that they exploit with lies. Look at verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Again, they come in with convincing and persuasive arguments, but they are lies. The world today will tell you, you know what, you, can, you don't have to live how, how the, this ancient book that was written by men, they'll deny the inspiration of Scripture. They'll say, this, this book just sort of shows ancient ideas, and there are some helpful concepts in it, but really, we've progressed to a time today where we don't have to live according to the Word of God. We can live however we want to and still be a Christian. You can have allegiance to Christ, and you can have allegiance to yourself and your sinful indulgence. That's what false teaching teaches today. And they can be very persuasive. They can talk about Greek and Hebrew words. They can make, make arguments that seem to make sense. And all through it out, all through it, they are lying to the church of God. They're deceiving His people. And they do it for their own benefit. They do it so that they would have their greed filled. It is in their greed that they exploit you. Why do they lie? Why do they bring in secret motivations? Why do they live behind a facade of Christianity? Because the reality is that that facade, that mask that they put on, that seems to show them as caring, wonderful people, the reality is the only person they're concerned with is themselves. They don't care for their followers. They don't care for Christ. They have only one allegiance. They have only one Lord, and it is their own bellies. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, there are many of whom I have often told you now and tell you even with tears that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and with their minds set on earthly things. A true leader, a true teacher who is guided by the Spirit cares not for himself. He cares for the sheep. He seeks to follow the true shepherd, the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do for the sheep? Lays down his life. The false teacher is all about his preeminence, his needs, his prestige, and his advancement. He sees the church not as a flock to be cared for, but as a flock to be fleeced. His greed drives him to exploit the church for his own use. And it is in this way he reveals his true motives. How unlike the Savior, false teachers truly are. So we need to be aware of them. We need to know their methods. As Paul closes his magnum opus, the book of Romans, he closes with this. Right? So they often say, what are, the, what are the things you really need to pay attention to in a book or in a speech or anything like that? And it's the things that are said at the beginning, 
And then the things that are said what? At the end. What, what is so important that Paul wants to leave his readers with as the last thought? I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So how do we watch out? How, are we, how do we beware of them? Well, we look at their methods. They're not going to depend on the Spirit. They're going to depend on their human thinking. They're going to come in and bring division and deceptively bring division into the church. They're going to teach that, you know what, how you live your life really isn't that important. And they're going to do this all so they can exploit the church for their own greedy gain. The greatest defense against the error of false teaching is to bask in the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have it be the very lifeblood of our every day. Because in it we're reminded of what Christ has done and we are encouraged by His Spirit to stay true to the Word to look and recognize that this prophecy was not produced by man's will, but it was produced by men moved by the Spirit. And it allows us then to use this word to compare the teachings of false prophets, and that will expose that what they teach is from men and not from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth we find in it, Lord. We thank you for this power that we have in your word, that is sure and sufficient. Father, remind us by Your Spirit of the truth that we need to know. That we would not be carried away by the deceptive and subtle lies of those who creep into the church. But Father, that we would be aware and dependent upon Your Spirit to guide and direct us. Father, work in our hearts through your Spirit today. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading His.